Father, we come to you asking that you would speak to our hearts in this time. We need you to speak to us, Father. Lord, I don't know what to say, but I know that you do. So please, you are the author of this thing. You know what through and through. Please give insight. Please, let us see exactly what you want us to know tonight. Exactly what you want our hearts to hear tonight. Change us. Make us new. We need more of you. And so, Lord, we dedicate this night into your hands. Come and teach us. Come and spend time with us, King. We have ears to hear. We are ready. We're ready to hear from you. Speak to us in your name. Amen. Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. Well, we're, we started in Genesis just a couple weeks ago, four weeks ago to be exact, since we are in Genesis chapter 4. We're in the fourth week, the fourth chapter, of course. Chapter by chapter, verse by verse, we break it down. We're going to teach through the whole Bible. I don't know how long it's going to take me, and I don't know if you'll even be here then. We might be out of here, spending time with the king for the rest of eternity. Who knows? Never be back here on the face of the earth again. And guess who will be teaching you there? Jesus, our king. He'll be opening the scriptures. He'll be talking to you and me too. We're going to be there. We're going to be looking into his eyes. And I'm going to look into your eyes from there and say, Hey, we're here. Snap. We never got to worry about anything for the rest of our lives. We're here with the king. Genesis chapter 4. Well, Genesis chapter 1, you know it. We have... God's overview of the seven days is creation. Genesis chapter 2, we have a little zoom in on what happened there with the creating of Adam and Eve, or the creating of man. We have kind of like a telescope view, like a zoom in eye view. Then Genesis chapter 3, we see what? Well, what happens in the garden? Adam and Eve sinning against the king. The king still being gracious to us, to, to them, giving them clothes, you remember, speaking to them, running after them, chasing after them, wondering what they're doing as the Lord did in our day and has done in our day. And so they've been kicked out of the Garden of Eden and they've had children, and now that's what we're looking into tonight. Genesis chapter 4. We'll start there and we'll move through. Here we are, verse 1. Read with me together. Chapter 4, verse 1. And Adam and Eve, or Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived. And bear came and said, I have gotten a man from the Lord. We'll stop there. Verse 1, Adam knew Eve, well, that's called having sex. That's, that means they made a baby, ladies and gentlemen, yes. And they, he knew his wife, and she conceived. She had a baby, and his name was Cain. And she says, I have gotten a man from the Lord. Very interesting here. The word Cain here, his name is begotten, or possession. And Adam knew Eve, and knew about the prophecy given there in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember Genesis chapter 3, verse 15 there? Let me read it to you. It says, and I will put enmity between the, thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, and it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise its head. Or his head. Do you see here the word her seed? Do you remember back? What happened? The serpent, remember, deceived the woman, right? You know the story. The snake comes up, uh, but deceives the woman, yeah, yeah, yeah. She goes and gets her husband to fall, and they blame each other, the blame game, they blame God. And then what happens? God says, well, guess what? This is what's going to happen. Now, serpent, since you've done this, you're cursed, you're going to slither on your stomach for the rest of your days, and you're going to eat dust, pretty much. And secondly, he says what? Her seed will come. Her seed. Do women have a seed? No. Women produce egg, obviously. The man produces seed, correct? Yes, so why does it say her seed there? Well, the virgin birth, of course, is speaking of. Her seed, we know that. The virgin birth. As if she had a seed, she produces by herself. Of course, it's the king, our God, putting the baby in her, but... We see that's going to happen. So Adam and Eve, 
knew the prophecy here. It's speaking of Jesus. It's speaking of Jesus here, okay? Jesus is going to come, or, I'm sorry, the Messiah is going to come. One that is going to save you, that's going to smash the serpent's head, that's going to smash and knock out Lucifer, the devil himself, for coming and deceiving the woman. So, Adam and Eve, knowing this prophecy, understanding the prophecy here, guess what? Are expecting, right, a boy to come, or the Messiah to come. A, someone to come and pretty much wipe out the enemy because they understood the prophecy. Very interesting phrase here. Look what it says in the, 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 the last part of verse 1. I have gotten a man from the Lord. I have gotten a man from the Lord. Or, actually, I have begotten a man from the Lord. Or, I have gotten a man from the Lord. This is saying here, it's a, it's a special phrase here, they say within the Hebrew, scholars are telling us, that this is meaning, or this is showing, that Eve was almost expecting or thinking that this came, since someone's going to come from her seed, or she's going to bore a child that will smash the head of the serpent, her seed's going to smash his head, and so obviously... This is probably it. I've gotten a man from the Lord. The Lord has given me this one. And this is supposed to be the Messiah. She's thinking Cain is. And obviously he turns out not to be. Verse 2, And she again bare his brother Abel, and Abel was a keeper of the sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. Verse 2, Abel means vanity or breath. Why did she name her second son vanity or breath? Vanity, exhausted breath. This is lame. Well, I bet she probably had this first child, realized what a bummer it was having children. The terrible threes came around, or whatever it's called, you know. Terrible terrible threes. Twos, threes, whatever. <laughs> and guess what? They're all terrible. <laughs> and so, obviously she says, vanity, vanity, all is vanity. Maybe quoting Solomon before his days, you know. This kid is nuts. This ain't the Messiah. I don't know what he's talking about. God talking about, because this Cain kid is pretty crazy. Abel, we see here, was a keeper of the sheep. I like that. A keeper of the sheep. A keeper of the sheep. We know another one who's the keeper of the sheep. Jesus, our King. The shepherd. The good shepherd. The one who would leave all his 99 to chase after one sheep. The one sheep that gone astray, he would leave the 99 and go and chase him down to bring him back to the flock. Because he loves you and he loves me that much that he would leave all to go and chase after the one because he cares about you individually just like that. And he's chased after each one of us individually, hasn't he? He's chased after us and brought us back to the flock or brought us close to him. The shepherd. Abel is a shepherd, Cain, a tiller of the ground, or a farmer we see here. Verses, uh, let's read verse 3 through 5 here. In the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought of the fruit of the ground, an offering unto the Lord. And Abel, he also brought the firstlings of his flock, and of the fat thereof. And the Lord had respect unto Abel and his offering. But unto Cain and to his offering he had not respect. And Cain was very wroth, or mad, and his countenance fell. So we see two things happening here. We see Abel, the shepherd brings an offering unto the Lord from his flock. We see Cain the farmer bringing something from his, from his ground. He brings some kind of vegetables or fruit of some kind, and he offers these to the Lord. For some reason, God respects Abel's offering, but does not respect Cain's. And Cain becomes very angry, and his countenance falls. Some interesting things to note here. 
Cain, what he did here is he tried to bring the work of his own hands to the Lord. Abel followed instructions by the Lord. How do you know there was instructions given? Well, if you look in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4, it says, By faith Abel offered his offering to the Lord. By faith, are you with me? Abel offered his offering by faith. So remember, Abel, Cain, both come and bring offerings unto the Lord. By faith, it says, Abel brought offering unto the Lord. Well, how does faith come? Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God, right? Romans 10, 17. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Abel offered his offering in faith, or by faith. So he must have heard the word of the Lord, and that's how he got the faith, and he was able to offer it to the Lord. So there was instructions given. There was some kind of instructions given. Because the word of the Lord had come, and Abel had given it through faith. Cain, on the other hand, did not follow instructions, and it was not respected. Abel was a hearer of the word and also a doer. He obeyed the word of the Lord. Cain, I'm sure he heard, but he did not obey. He was not a doer. All of our righteous deeds are as a filthy rag, Isaiah 64 says. I can see Cain working hard, you know, working in his ground, working, 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 working. Then he brings this thing to the Lord. He did not follow instructions. He probably thought, my way would be better. I'm going to go work and do this for the Lord. Do this work, 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 this deed, 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 deed. Then bring it to the Lord, not follow instructions, and the Lord's going to be pleased. But that was the complete opposite of what happens here, obviously. We see Cain. He brings his offering to the Lord. And the Lord is not pleased with it. Abel's he is because he followed instructions. He did it by faith. And what happens to Cain? Look at verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering he had no respect. And Cain was very mad and his countenance fell. His countenance fell. Cain was mad and then his countenance fell. His face, his person changed. This word countenance is like your face or your person, your personality, who you are on the inside. Feelings follow action. This is very important to look at here. Because many people, and this, I mean, this is a huge issue, I think, within the Christian world and within the world itself. Like many people say, I'm born this way. I'm born that way, like homosexuality for one. This is one thing that they use as an, an illustration because they're doing many studies, or they've been doing like 10 years ago on these things, and they're saying that people are starting to be, the, the, the gene, or they're born like that, or they have homosexuals' brains are shaped a little bit different than the normal man. And this is true. The studies show it. But, they say that before a man, before a man is, I'm sorry, they're doing tests on men before he became a homosexual or before he decided he was going to be that way. This is what people are saying. Or before he comes out and says this. They're doing tests and studies and showing that their brain is shaped a different way. When they become this and act this out, the brain actually changes and they become this way. Same thing with depression. They say people with chronic depression, okay? Before a man's brain is shaped fine, they say when you act out in depression, like Cain here, angry, I'm angry, I'm mad, I'm bummed out, whatever. Before the brain is perfectly fine, just like everyone else's, but after they start to act out depression, a chemical reaction happens, that's right, and what starts to happen? Change. The brain starts to change. 
And so what we're finding out here is that people are the way they are because they want to be this way. And so a lot of people say, a lot of Christians say, well, we shouldn't give medicine, you know, or we shouldn't give out, like, any pills for people who are struggling with depression and this and that. And in the Bible times, they didn't use that. And they would stone people and they would kill people off that pretty much were in these kind of ways who were wicked and pretty much ran off and did their own thing. We see here, the Bible is teaching this here clearly. Now, a person who is depressed or has, was not depressed, started getting and, you know, lying in this depression, lying in their bed, per se, becomes depressed and starts to get a, a chronic depression, yes, it might be, it, it probably is a good thing for them to start taking medication because they've gone so far now that their mind is twisted and it is, not twisted, I'm sorry, that's the wrong word, but it has been changed into a way where they're constantly in this mode now. Now they need medicine to repair themselves. But it is a conscious decision to be that way before. And we're going to look at that and see how that is. It is a conscious decision. Because the Bible does not speak about this kind of stuff, like psychological like medicine and doing these things and working things out back and forth. There are some things that are spoken of, but not a lot of things where we're using these kind of things to heal people and medicine. The, the Bible just says straight up, just stop that. Don't be that way. Correct yourself. There's no sympathy almost for a man who does this because he makes a constant decision. And check this out. Check what happens with Cain here. It's a perfect example. I love it. Verse, okay, verse 6 here. Wait, okay, let's, verse 5 real quick. Sorry. And Cain was very wroth, right? He was mad, and then what happened? He was mad, and then his countenance fell. His countenance, his person, his face was not fallen. He wasn't depressed, and then he became this way. He was angry, and then his countenance fell. Secondly, look at verse 6. And the Lord said unto Cain, Why art thou wroth, or why are you mad? And why is your countenance fall? Why? Why are you being this way? Why have you let your countenance fall? And verse 7 sums it all up perfectly. If thou doest well, shalt thou not be accepted? And if thou doest not well, sin lieth at the door, and unto thee shall be his desire, and thou shalt rule over him. I love it, I love it, I love it. It confirms it perfectly. Listen, I'll read a different translation so you can understand it better. God gives Cain a choice here. Cain, you're bummed out because they didn't accept your sacrifice. Listen up. You have two choices. Verse 7 there, this is the uh, NASB. It says, If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Okay, you're mad? If you do well, if you encourage yourself, if you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? Will not you be joyful? You have a choice to make. But, he also says, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door, and it desire, it, its desire is for you, but you must master it. Pretty much saying, if you do not do well, sin is crouching at your door, and you're going to be destroyed. You're going to mess your own self up. There's a couple different passages that I want to look at. I'll just read them to you. You just stay where you're at, and I'll read them to you. You can encourage yourself or let yourself be bummed out and become depressed. You have two options in every situation. You can either lift yourself up and encourage yourself. This is real life. I'm talking to myself. Say a situation happens, okay? Uh, say the rent's due and you can't pay it. You have two options. You can either continue in depression and be bummed out about it, or you can encourage yourself in the Lord and say something like this. The Lord provides all my needs according to His riches and glory. And understand and rest on the promise and say, I know God's going to pull through for me. I'm okay. I can do this. 
Has the Lord ever failed me? No, he hasn't, Josh. Okay, then you need to get on it, and you need to celebrate, and you need to be okay that the Lord's going to pull through for you. You have a decision to make every single time. Or you can say, oh, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. And just continue to let sin crouch at your door and overtake you and master you. And then you find yourself down the road all of a sudden bummed out and tweaked out. I didn't used to be like this. I don't know what's wrong with me. I have this illness, this and that, this and that. No. It is because we have made conscious decisions to do this. Two examples. Number one, you see David. David and, check this out, David and 1 Samuel chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. You can write that down and read it later. This is what happens. David, he gets his family stolen from him. Taken away from him, right? Straight up taken away from him. David gets bummed out. But in 1 Samuel chapter, what did I just say? Chapter 3, verse 6? Yes. In 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 6, this is what David said. Even though David was bummed out, he was depressed, you read the passage, it seems like he's all down. Then all of a sudden it says, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. I love it. He encouraged himself in the Lord. He did not let himself stay down. It's your choice in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Remember what does it say? In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God. You can give thanks in all things. Because why? Well, God says in Romans 8.28 that what? God is going to cause all things to work together for good for those who love Him. Do you love God? Then He's going to cause everything to work together for good. Know this, a great quote. God only permits evil, my friends. God only permits evil if He's going to turn it out for good. If He's going to make it good. That's the only way He'll even allow that to happen. And so, let me give a great illustration of this. It's the smile illustration. You know it. Smile illustration. If you're feeling down, you're feeling bummed out, you can smile as big as you want at any time. Try to smile as huge as you possibly can at any moment and watch how joy will instantly fill you. The action is what? Smile as big as you can. Ready, everybody? Smile as big as you can. Do it with me. <laughs> instant, instant sense of joy for some reason. And maybe a small spurt, maybe bigger than others for some people. But there is feeling that comes with action. <coughs> Amazing. When you act out, the feeling comes. When I encourage myself, I will be encouraged. When I sit in my depression, I will be depressed. Action, you step out, what did God tell, tell, tell Cain? What did he say to him? Cain, if you lift up yourself, then you'll surely be fine, correct? But, if, your countenance, if you let your countenance fall, sin will knock at your door and you're going to be jacked up. And this is what Cain did. He let his countenance fall. He let it. Another illustration is Lamentations 3. You can check it out for yourself. Great. I love it. Lamentate. I better turn there. <laughs> it's good stuff. Lamentations chapter 3. <clears throat> let me tell you what happens. Well, Jeremiah, he's being an, an idiot. He rebels against the Lord a couple times. He knows he's done wrong. All of Jerusalem has done wrong. They've rebelled against God. So what's God doing? He's drop-kicking them. Just like, you're reaping what you sow. Here it comes to you. You want it? You're going to get it. Boom. He turns them over to sin pretty much. It's like a person who goes out and parties and just loves, oh, I'm just going to do it. In your face, God, watch this. What happens? God says, okay, you're going to do that? Then I'm turning you over into it. Let, let it just take you over then. Let it just run your life. Let it just be your master, you see. And that is what happens when we decide to make decisions within us. 
Here in Lamentations, you see Jeremiah. He writes a book of sorrow. He's all bummed out. But, I love it, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. So he's just writing on and on about how bummed out he is. How his teeth feel like they have gravel in them because he's so bummed out. You know, he's just on and on and on. He's so bummed out at the Lord. But then all of a sudden this happens, even though he's bummed out and he's down depressed. Listen, Lamentations chapter 3, verse 21. This I recall to my mind. Oh, I love it. Recall it to your mind, my friends. Scripture worship and the things that we talk about it. Recall the promises of God to your mind. I love the promises of God. Cast your burden upon me and I will give you rest. Okay, Lord, I'm casting my burden upon you. I better receive rest because I know I will. I can be at rest now. You will give me a peace that surpasses understanding. You will provide for all my needs according to your riches and glory. Look at the birds in the sky. Are they provided for? Yeah. Okay, if God provides for the birds every day, they don't have to go get a job. How much more does he care about me than he cares about the birds? Matthew chapter 6 says. He loves me a hundred times more than he loves the birds. So of course I'm going to be provided for. Of course I'm going to be taken care of. Of course everything's going to work out. Romans 8, 28. Jeremiah 29, 11. You know the scriptures. Jeremiah 33, 3. We need to know these things. We need to understand. We need to hide these promises in our hearts. Because when we have these hidden in our hearts, we can recall them to mind and what happens? Instant joy. Check it out. He says, This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. It is the Lord's mercy that we are not consumed because of His compassions fail not. You see, he starts encouraging himself in the Lord. Look at this. Jeremiah starts saying this to himself. He's writing this down. He starts talking to himself. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. He's saying that. Hey, listen up, soul. The Lord is my portion. Therefore, I will hope in Him. My friends, encourage yourself in the Lord. Do not let your countenance fall. Do not let yourself get down. How can you be joyful always? I didn't know until I was in Mexico with Johnny. The guy's countenance never fell. The guy's lit up like a light bulb nonstop, man. It's glowing. And when we were there in the desert, all of a sudden we came to this point of, call it nirvana or whatever you want it felt like. Like, there's nothing to be down about. If anything bad happened, we just say, huh, Lord's going to take care of it. I love using illustrations. Look at the rainbow in the sky. Does a rainbow come out every single time it rains? Yeah. The rainbow has came out every single time it's rained for the last 5,000 years. If the rainbow comes out every single time it rains, then God has kept His promise. And if God says He's going to cause all things to work together for good, it's going to happen. He's kept His promise. If God says He's going to provide for all your needs, it's going to happen. If God says, cast your burden upon me and I'm going to give you rest, it's going to happen. If God says, I'm going to give you a peace that surpasses understanding, it's going to happen. If God says, I desire for you to have good things and life in that abundantly, it is going to happen, my friend. But you need to take action in your own life and live it out. Remember, we Christians, we're selling this stuff called Jesus about how happy it makes us, but we don't smoke it. We don't even use our own stuff. We talk about this Jesus stuff on how happy it makes us, right? But many people do not live it out. It's just a religion, a bunch of rules and regulations that's hard to live by. And that is not this life. That is not life in that abundantly with Christ. That is not the life that I found in this day. It was for a long time in my life, a bunch of rules and just working hard for the church. 
and it is not anymore in this day, and I'm so happy I've been set free. And what a bummer that is. It's because I did not know the King, I did not know the Father, I did not spend time with Him. Emmanuel, when you when you spend time with the Lord and you you go on walks with Him and talk to Him and share things with Him that are on your heart, it starts to become real in your life, more real than I've ever felt. And there is a peace and there is a joy. You're either a lunatic talking to this guy or you're really talking to the Creator, my friends. You're really getting to know Him. He's really there to give you rest and peace. It's for reals, my friends. And the reason many people aren't experiencing life in that abundantly because they don't know the one who gives life in that abundantly. He's trying to give it to you. I can see him like reaching like... Going to the movies. Snap. I was gone. Oh, he doesn't have time for me this morning. He wants to spend time with you. He wants to spend time with you. Let God become a reality in your life. God was a reality in Cain's life, and Cain shut him off. And look what happened. Don't shut off God in your day. Don't let your countenance fall. See, listen up, you old buster. Remember we sang the song today. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make her boast in thee, Lord. Listen up, soul. You're boasting in the king today. Oh, you feel sad, do you? Well, I don't care. I'm going to praise the Lord anyways. When I go outside or wherever I'm at, if I sing a Jesus song, no matter how down I am, I'm telling you, I am set free. I'm set free like never before. Well, that's weird, Josh. Well, don't call me weird. I don't care. I'm set free, my man. I'm set free in such a new and real way. Sometimes when me and Nikki were arguing on the phone or whatever, I'll say, we're not doing this anymore. We're going to sing a Jesus song. And she doesn't want to, you know. You're singing. You're singing solo first. And when she does, all of a sudden, what happens? That's right. A smile starts to glow. And things just get a little bit better right there on the phone. And perspective is changed instantly. because that's what our souls long for, my friends. It's to be with Jesus. It's to exalt Him, to praise Him. And so, do not let your countenance fall. It's your choice. And man, I want to ream this generation. I want to so bad. That's that's me. I want to smack him in the face, but you a buster. Stop blaming things on everybody. Take into account for what you have done and say, I've done wrong and change. Not I was born this way, I have this, I have that, I have this. But that we would take into account the things that we have done wrong. I know I have done wrong. I know who I am inside. I know when I do wrong. I don't need to make any excuses. You know what? If you talk back to your parents in the Bible days, guess what happened? They take you out to the edge of the city and stone you. You don't talk back to your parents. Get out of here. Nobody would be talking back to their parents if it was that way in this day. And nobody did in that day. 
When do you ever see a recording of somebody in the Old Testament talking back to their parents? I don't. Because they were serious, they meant business, and there was much respect in their day. And if a kid started acting up and saying, I'm this way and I was born this way, what are you talking about? Shape up. You have a decision to make. If you want to be that way, just like Cain, what? Well, well, I, I was, you know, I have anger problems. Shape up, God says to Cain. I made you. I know you. Why is your countenance fall? You made the decision to do it. Smile, my man. And we're going to watch right now as we look at this next scripture. Watch this, how God is gracious to Cain. Even though Cain gives him the birdie, even though Cain runs from him, God can still continues to pour his grace on Cain. Amazing! Let's move on and just stop babbling. Snap. Verse 8. Of course we see Cain. He didn't change. Look what he does. And verse 8. And Cain talked with Abel, his brother. I wonder what he said. What did he say to his brother? He talked with him. What did he say? You little buster. Why was your, God, why was your offering better than mine? And Abel probably spoke some words from the king. Hey, I just did what the Lord told us to do. Ah. Cain, you know, of course, gets all angry inside. And it came to pass that when they were in the field, that Cain rose up, rose up against Abel, his brother, and slew him. He killed him. Killed him right there on the spot. Cain, scholars say, was about 129 years old at this time. 129 years old. They've been hanging out. They're brothers, man. They know each other. And he killed his brother. It's amazing, you know? He killed him. Because he was so angry inside. I wonder how long the time period was between when they made the offering and then how many years passed by or months and then Cain goes and kills him. I wonder how long it took. All that stirring up. Ugh. You know, it's like the kid who's made fun of in high school, you know, and then he goes out and gets a little hit list and wants to take out people, you know. How long has it built up inside? Jesus has forgiven us. We can forgive everybody else, can't we? We're a bunch of losers. The Lord's forgiven us, given us life. He's forgiven us. We can forgive others. I love forgiving others. It's fun. And it came to pass when they rose in the field, he slew Abel. In verse 9, And the Lord said unto Cain, Where is Abel thy brother? Where's your brother? And he said, I know not. Am I my brother's keeper? What? What a little buster. <laughs> he talks back to the king. He talks back to the creator of the entire universe. I love God. This is why. He brings the perfect question all the time to the table. Remember Adam? Remember Adam and Eve? He says, what, what, gosh, let me just read it to you. I love it. He says, Where art thou? And he says, I, oh, he heard a voice in the garden and said, I was naked and I hid myself. And then he said to him the perfect question, who told you you were naked? Caught him, red-handed. Who told you you were naked? It's like, uh-oh, God knows everything. Snap, I got worked. And the same <laughs> thing here, the same thing here. Look at this, look at this. What does he say? Where is Abel, thy brother? The perfect question. Where's your brother? That has so many answers to that question in, in such a broad range of conversation. Where is your brother? Look at all that that brings up. That means that God knows something because his brother's not there. That means God was probably there watching. What did you do, Cain, with your brother? You had something to do with it. Cain was just shook in his shoes when he heard that. And look at what he says. He talks back to the king. I love the Lord, the perfect questions that he brings to the table. Notice, no repentance. He doesn't repent at all. And verse 10 
And he said, What hast thou done? God says to him, The voice of thy brother's blood cries unto me from the ground. Oh, snap. Caught him red-handed now. Your brother's blood's crying from the ground. Huh? Oh, I don't know what that means. Cain never confesses. Notice. In this text, you'll never see him say that he did it. You'll never see him say that he was the one who stabbed him. He never confesses, never gives in, doesn't say anything. The only thing he says is what? Am I my brother's keeper? Little back-talking, little buster that I want to slap in the face. You talk back to the king that way? If I was the king, I would slap him, you know? <laughs> but the king doesn't slap him. Look what he does. What a gracious God we serve. Oh, wait, something real quick there. The word blood there, the word blood, the, his blood cries out from the ground. That word blood there means bloods, plural. If you look in your margin, if you have King James, or some of you have notes there, the word is bloods there in Hebrew. Bloods, generations, meaning that your brother's bloods cries out from the ground. Bloods meaning what? Generation. Millions of people you have killed, Cain. Why? Well, Abel was about to produce generations upon generations. If he would have had a son, he would have produced millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of kids. The Jews, even in this day, the ones who saved Jews from the, from the Holocaust, they will say and say blessings upon blessings upon you for all the generations you saved. You saved the Holocaust. If you saved a Jew, a Gentile saved a Jew, they pray blessing upon blessing because you saved generations. You saved one man, but that man is going to produce thousands and thousands of people, you see. And so in the same here, God says, the generations cry out unto me from the ground. Verse 11, And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. And when thou tillest the ground, verse 12, it shall now henceforth yield unto thee her strength, and a fugitive and a vagabond shall thou be in the earth. Verse 13 here. And Cain said unto the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. He says that the ground is not going to, henceforth, it's not going to work for you anymore. It's not going to produce any fruit. It's not going to bring forth her strength as it did before. And you're going to be a fugitive in the earth for the rest of your days because of what you've done. And what does Cain say in verse 13? My punishment is greater than I can bear. What a buster, you know? This is why. Yeah, your punishment is greater than you can bear, but you are the one who did it. Once again, Cain thinking about himself. This is greater than I can bear. I can't take this punishment. This is too much. This reminds me of somebody I know. Maybe me or us. The punishment that comes upon us after we do something wrong is always greater than we can bear, isn't it? So don't sin, my friends. That road leads to destruction. You reap what you sow. Know this. Sin crucifies you. Look at the cross. That's what sin does to you. Look at Jesus. Bloody mess. That is what sin does to you. So go and sin, and you'll be a bloody mess. You'll be crucified before you know it. Your life will be in pieces, and you'll hate this life. Sin, the repercussions are always greater than you could ever imagine. Note that before you sin next time. Think about this, okay? Sin is lurking at my door. I'm about to fall into this. What did we talk about at study? Lord, I know this is greater than what I can bear, actually. I need to not do this. Let that be motivation for you not to sin. Let that be motivation for you not to fall into it, unless you want a bloody mess. And greater than that... The Lord continues to forgive you. Don't you want to stop sinning? He's forgiven us so much, time and time again. It's like this. If you punch me in the face, I forgive you. 
You punch me in the face, I forgive you. You punch me in the face, I forgive you. You punch me in the face, I forgive you. Fifty times, you punch me in the face, I forgive you. Does there come a time when you say, man, I don't want to punch you in the face anymore. You've forgiven me so much, dude. I'm sorry. With our sin the same way, my friends. We punch God in the face, and He forgives us. Does there come a point in your life when you say, man, you're good God. Why do you forgive me so much? I don't want to sin against you anymore. You're good. You deserve holiness. Holiness is what? Well, living for the King. Following after Him. Holiness is happiness. John Corson, man, I love that guy so much because he says this. He said, my brother, he says, I never looked at a porno. I've never been on the website. I've never, uh, you know, done a drug or drank. I'm the, yeah, you said it, the little Christian boy, you know, who raised up and never did anything wrong. Yeah. I don't have a testimony. I don't have anything bad that I came off of or this and that. But you know what? I'm happy. And I'm so happy that I didn't fall into those things. And he was, you know what? He was the most popular kid at his high school. He got the superintendent award of every single school in his city. He was all league and all state for football. He was the football captain. He went to college and toured all over the world by throwing this discus. The guy was yoked. I mean, the most best personality. And because he served the king, he loved Jesus. A lot of people say, you become that Jesus freak guy, and all of a sudden, you know, you lose everything. You know, it's like you never... You know. What are you talking about? If God created our lives, my friends, if God created life, think about it. If God created life, God created happiness, God created fun, God created pleasure and personality and all these things, don't you think that if you did life His way, that your life would be amplified to the greatest pleasure in the greatest way? Of course. But people say, what? No, I've got to go do this. My old buddies that still party and do all this stuff, and laugh at them. And I feel bad for them. And when they come and they try to... I remember, I run them in the mall or something, they try to go to a party tonight, bro. <laughs> are you going to party tonight, huh? Well, you going to go and, you know, get drunk and, you know, do this and this and this, and maybe you go and do that and, and mess, mess your life up and end up in prison for the rest of your life? Or you want to go and become an alcoholic, maybe abuse and beat your kids one day? That sounds like fun. <laughs> and they're like, oh, snap, I feel like an idiot, you know? Because sin is not good, and it does not bring forth anything good in life. You know that, and I know that too. But for some reason, we still allow it to happen in our lives. Sin is greater than what you can bear, and me too. Holiness is happiness. Strive after it. Verse 14, Thou hast driven me out of the earth this day, from the face of the earth, and from thy face shall I be hid. Note, note there, what does that say? From thy face shall I be hid. Who hid? Cain hid from God's face. Cain walked away from God, not God walking away from him. And I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond in the earth, and it shall come to pass that everyone that findeth me shall slay me. So now he's a fugitive running around the earth. The ground's not going to yield him anything, so he's scared. Cain, right? He's done all this wrong. It's greater than what he can bear, because what's going to happen? Well, people all over the world are going to want to kill him, because he's a fugitive. He's a vagabond. He's been... He, he, he's been excommunicated from everybody, so everybody's going to want to kill him and, and pretty much work him. And so what does God do? Look at what he does. What a good God we serve. Look at this. And the Lord said unto him, Therefore, whosoever... Okay, the Lord said unto him... Okay, Cain, listen up. Therefore, whoever slay Cain, vengeance shall be a, take upon him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark upon Cain, lest any finding him should kill him. Did you see that? So, 
Cain complains, this is too much for me to bear, I can't take this. Then you shouldn't have done it, you little buster. Reap what you sow. Handle your repercussions. Deal with it. Repent and turn to the Lord. He didn't do that. Remember? He says his little mockery to God, his little talk back phrase. I'm not my brother's keeper. And then God says, okay, because you don't want to repent, this is what's happening to you. And then what does he do? He complains about the punishment. <coughs> After he complains about the punishment that he gets, Lord, Lord, everybody's going to want to come and kill me. So what does God do? He says, okay, Cain. You haven't repented. You haven't been a good boy. You haven't been nice. You haven't even confessed that you did the murder. You haven't done anything. And God says what? I'll protect you. I'll put a seal on your body or on your forehead or wherever it's at where every man that sees you will know somehow that if they kill you, sevenfold will be the plagues on him. He'll be worked. He'll be killed himself. And he'll get worked by the king and the father. So God puts a seal on him and protects him. Lord, why are you so good? We have such a good king. Do you understand, my friends? He's a good God. He's not out to ruin everybody's fun. He's not out to smash everybody's party. He's out to give life in that abundantly. I love it. And maybe me and you go and tell the rest of the people this in the world, huh? You know, Mike, this is good stuff, Aaron. This is good stuff. This is what we get to tell the world about how awesome Jesus is because nobody... What man... You go and talk to a person on the street, what they think of God, they think, well, you know, I don't know, God's like, you know, He just wants us to follow a bunch of rules. And it, What are you talking about? Have you read your Bible lately? I see a God of grace and mercy. A God of love. You reap what you sow. Yeah, you get, you, you get worked when you do things wrong, but that's God disciplining His children. Hey, don't do that. That's bad. That's going to burn you. That's going to mess you up. And you discipline your children because you love them. You want them to do the right thing. And God disciplined us in the same way. So, let's close this baby up, huh? Verse 16, And Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and dwelt in the land of Nod. And Cain knew his wife. Who's his wife? This is a big atheist question. Well, who's Cain's wife, huh? Where'd she come from? If there's just... Uh, Cain and Abel and Adam and Eve, well, where, you know, Cain's wife come from? Hello? 129 years? Don't you think that Adam and Eve probably had a couple more children than that? On top of that, there would be, there could be up to, I think it's uh, calculated, I saw on a website, up to thousands of people already in this time, if people are multiplying every 10 years or having kids or so. After the age of, what, 20, you can start having kids, and so you have kids, generation after generation, they had huge families back then, my friends. And incest was not that big of a deal back then, and this is why. God stopped the incest at a certain mark in the Bible, and we're going to get to that. But he stopped at a certain point, because what? Think of it this way. Logically, you've got two perfect people, right? God creates Adam and Eve. Two perfect people have incest, right? And so you get a supposed deformity. No, maybe you lose a little bit. You lose a little bit, you lose a little bit, you lose a little bit. You know, and it continues on, it continues on, it continues on. Now, in this time, there's such, we're such idiots, we only use, what, 10% of our brains or whatever, we're not, they use 100%. We're so far from Adam and Eve, we're so far from perfection. Now, if we have incest, guess what, you're going to get a, a crazy looking kid, you know, something's going to happen, you're going to get messed up. It's, like, it's, a, it's a truth, sorry. That's just truth, I'm sorry. But back then, it was okay, it was okay to do, and God stopped the moment, he stopped the point when they needed to stop doing that. He knew when it was time to stop doing that, because you're going to have all kinds of problems. But Cain knows his wife, so his Cain was obviously his sister, if you want to call it that, or whatever. Hello. And she conceived to bear Enoch, and he built a city and called the name of the city after the name of his son Enoch. Enoch means dedicated. But this is a bummer. This is a bummer here. 
So Cain here, what does he do? He runs off to the city of Nod, east of Eden, and he starts building his own city. And he, he, he has a son, and he names his son Enoch. This is not the same Enoch that we'll see in Genesis chapter 5, not the same guy. His, son, his name is dedicated. That's what his son means. His son's name means. He builds a son and name. He, he builds a son. He builds. A, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm getting mixed up here. But he builds a building here. He builds a city here. He builds a some kind of place here, and he names it after his son. Notice. Who made that land? Who created the earth? God did. And Cain goes away and dedicates not to God the property. Not the city that he's about to build under the king, but he dedicates it to his own son. He names his son Enoch. Some very interesting names start to happen through the family tree here. We can't get into this because we don't have time. But verses 17 through 24, what happens is it's pretty much the establishment of Cain. And what happens, he establishes a city, has a family, family tree. This is, these are some of the names that he names his children. Check this out. Some of the names that his children's children name themselves. Listen to this. Irad means wild ass. I said it. I read. Mahujael means this, blot out the name of God. Methus, Methusael, not Methuselah, Methusael means they are dead who are of God. Lamech means poor and lowly. Guess what Lamech does? He starts polygamy. The first mention of polygamy there in verse 19. He takes two wives. Their names are Ada and Zilead. They mean ornament and shabby or undesirable. There's a whole story behind that that we can't get into, but I encourage you to look into it yourself. So Cain establishes a sick, wicked city and mocks God with it. After God just is so good to him, you know? Man. It's a bummer. But there is an awesome ending to the story we see here. Look at verse 25. We'll close. Verse 25 and 26, And Adam knew his wife again, and she bare a son, and called his name Seth. I mean, Seth means appointed. For God, she said, hath appointed me another seed instead of Abel, whom Cain slew. Verse 26, And to Seth, to him, there was born a son, and he called his name Enos. Then began men to call upon the name of the Lord. I love it. A new boy is born, his name's Seth, and he has a boy named Enos. And what happens, Enos, when he is born, people start to call on the name of the Lord again. Because why? Well, Cain. Cain tries to destroy the line, and Cain creates this big wicked city. But Seth rises up and says, forget this game. I'm making a stand for the Lord, and my son will know the king. He will know him personally. And people started to call on the name of the Lord as this man is made. And I think our message today is that me and you, that people would call on the name of the Lord because of us. Look at your life right now, please. Take the eyeballs out of the sockets, turn them around, and examine life. Do people want to praise the Lord because of you? Do people want to exalt the king and live a better life because of you? Say, no, not me, Josh. That's okay. 
because we get to start doing that in this day. We get to have our own Seth. We get to have our own Enos, where people start to call upon the name of the Lord, that we leave a legacy that people look upon and be blown away by. Not for us. That's what people say, well, Josh Thompson, man, yeah. No, but hopefully they forget the name completely. And all I remember is, man, that Jesus guy was just a nutcase, man. Praise the Lord that he was around, or she was around. There's a perfect picture illustration of Jesus here in this entire picture. Do you see it? Abel. Abel's the picture of Jesus, the shepherd. Abel offered the pleasing sacrifice unto God. Who was the pleasing sacrifice unto God? Jesus, our King. Abel was slain by the wicked. A great picture. Abel loved the Lord with all of his heart. And he sacrificed the best that he could. And may we do that. May we strive after the King in that way, my friends. We've come here tonight to remember the King and what He's done for us. We're not going to take communion. I'm going to grab it out. It's okay. But I just want you, because I've gone over, but I just want you guys to truly, do not forget Jesus when He's done for you. Ryan, please. Vincent, please. Dimas, no way. We're not going to forget. Aaron, no way. We must not forget what the Lord has done for us. When we walk away from this place every night, I want you guys to be okay inside. I want you to know that you have Jesus who has died for you. Understand this, my friends. God came down off His throne, all of His glory, His riches, and died for you, became a poor man and died for you. Don't you understand that He's already given you the greatest gift He could possibly give you? Listen. Listen, He's already given you the greatest gift He could possibly give you. So Him giving you anything else is like chump change. He's going to take care of you. He's going to be there for you. He's going to give you the words to speak to your friends and your family. You can stand up and lay hands on them and pray for them. You can open your mouth and make a stand like no other. He's going to be there for you. You have Jesus, my friends. When you don't have Jesus, you turn to all the things in the world and hope that pleasure will come from it. When you have Jesus, you don't need those things in the world. We have the King. And so tonight, don't forget what He's done for you. We're going to heaven. And we might be there maybe in six minutes. The Lord says He comes like a thief in the night. Looks like it's nighttime to me. If He busts through these doors and He takes us away and we never see this earth again, then praise be the King. And me and you looking into each other's eyes in heaven saying, We made it. We're not here anymore. We're, we're, we're here. We're with our King.
And so let's pray together. Lord, Father, thank you so much for what you've done in our lives. It's because of what you've done. It's because you died for us. It's because you shed your blood that we get to go to heaven. You took our spot. We should be nailed to that cross. We have done wrong. We deserve to be punished. We deserve the punishment of death. But you took it for us so that we don't have to have that death. But we get to have life. Jesus, you lived a perfect life. You deserve heaven. We don't. Thank you for giving us your perfect life so that we can go to heaven. We remember you tonight, King. Take the words, Lord, that have been spoken tonight. Hide them in our hearts, Lord. Don't let us forget. Lord, we want to be happy. We want to be joyful in our days. Teach us, King. We want the joy of our salvation. And so, Lord, we ask that you be with us. Jesus, do you hear me? Jesus, do you hear me? Please be with every single one of these. Please speak to their hearts as they walk away tonight. Please help us to be a family exalting you in your name. Thank you, Lord. Amen. 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 Stand up with me. We're going to exalt the king together. You guys just repeat after me. We're going to sing it together. Sing it from the inner being of yourself. Lift it up. Come on. I want to hear some voices. All right, here we go. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Hail Jesus, you're my king. Your life makes me to sing. Your life makes me to sing. And I will praise you all my days. I will praise you all my days. You're perfect in all your ways. You're perfect in all your ways. And hail Jesus, you're my Lord. Hail Jesus, you're my Lord. I will obey your word. I will obey your word. I want to see your kingdom come. want to see your kingdom come. Not my will, but yours be done. Not my will, but yours be done. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. How wonderful you are. And hail, hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. How powerful you are. And glory, glory to the Lamb. Glory, glory to the Lamb. You take me into the land. You take me into the land. And we will conquer in your name. We will conquer in your name. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. And proclaim that Jesus reigns. And hail, hail, line of Judah. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How powerful you are. How powerful you are. And hail, hail, line of Judah. Hail, hail, line of Judah. How wonderful you are. How wonderful you are. And how wonderful you are, how wonderful you are, and how wonderful you are, how wonderful you are, and Lord, you are wonderful. We love you, and we can't wait what you're going to do tomorrow in our lives.
We dedicate ourselves to you. Be with us, King. Hold our hands. We need you. In your name we pray. Amen. 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 Love you guys.